Hey ladies, welcome to the Diamond Hands podcast. So you want to own a med spa? Welcome to our community and explore the exciting industry of medical aesthetics and hear from experienced med spa owners and relevant industry experts to guide you on your path. Mindset, money, practice management, marketing, find it here. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Diamond Hands podcast. Guys, we are so blessed today that we have a Dr. Jennifer Levine, a double board certified plastic surgeon. Um, she owns Dr. Jennifer Levine Plastic Surgery in Manhattan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about two things that are really important to me, which are plastic surgery and business. And you know what's so funny? So just to give you a little background about me, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn before Brooklyn was cool. You know, I'm more from like the AO, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to a very large public high school. Uh, and then I went to Columbia undergraduate. And then I went to yeah. Cornell Medical School. So I have all my Ivy League education. And then I did my training yeah. at Manhattan Pioneer and my fellowship at NYU. Yeah. And, you know, after you go through all of this education, you know, they don't talk about business during any part of medical education. I mean, talking about business is almost against being a physician because that's not what physicians do. Physicians treat patients, they listen to patients. So we spent a lot of our time in like solariums discussing like differential diagnoses, you know, and, and learning and listening, which obviously I, I treasure because they, those are important qualities for a physician. But then when you want to go out into practice, you don't really know anything about that because no one taught you or they taught you that you shouldn't even think about that. So uh, I had to kind of learn that as I went. And obviously it's something that I really like and enjoy, luckily, because yeah. I guess anyone who's going to go into private practice must somehow want to be in business because it is it is a business. So it thank you so much for having me on this Podcast. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, this is so amazing. So guys, I first had met her. She was speaking um, at an event for um, MERS. MERS, right? Yeah, she was speaking for an event um, at MERS for MERS um, in Boston. And so I had gone and I, and I, and I heard her speak about, you know, um, you know, this product line and, and how, how it works. exactly what was um, the, what we were going over with everyone that day. You're I'm kind of combining. Well, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about different procedures that yes. help produce collagen. Yes. So we were talking about old therapy, which is a, a, a non-invasive ultrasound treatment that helps mm-hmm. to stimulate collagen and elastin. We were talking about some of the collagen stimulating fillers like radius and yes. talking about how important skincare is to kind of tie yes. it all together and you know do your home care to get better results so that's what we were talking about the collagen the 3d collagen boost i think that's yes that exactly that's <laughs> what it was and it was like so cool and you know after so i was so impressed by her and then you know and of oh, course all the practitioners that were there they had so many questions they're like oh my god and then after of course guys she had this beautiful skirt. Her legs were smashed. And I'm just like, okay, you got to tell me where you're going to get your legs so like elongated and muscular. And then she was like, what was it, bar? No, no. Um, I go to this SLT, SLT strength so, and length and in tone. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like torture, but it is, um, 
it's kind of like <laughs> it uses like a version of the Pilates reformer, but it's yeah. called a megaformer. And basically it's like exercises that are really like core intensive, do a lot of obliques. There's a leg section and mm -hmm. uh, 15 seconds is like an eternity. My goodness. Yeah. So, so she told me, and of course they don't have any like near where I am because of the like, I need to have legs like her. So guys, oh, that's this is not a paid advertisement, but you know, as I'll see, if you want to get legs like Dr. Levine, yeah. that's where you go. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Of course, it's very effective. You may not like it, but it is effective. Exactly. Well, I mean, the same thing kind of goes at your training. I mean, I think plastic surgery, like you guys have a you guys are a little, um, what's, what, what's the word for it? Um, you guys like pain because going through school the way that you did, like, come on. Well, I don't think it's that, I don't think that's that we like pain. There's just like no other way. Yeah. You know, there's no other way because basically when you're doing surgery, you have to still do all the patient care and stuff, yes. but you have yes. to either do it before the surgery or after the surgery. So it makes for a very... Uh, long day. Yeah, a long day, definitely. It's a so long day. <laughs> a long day. I'm like, oh, I love you. So, it's like, no. When did you know? At like, what point in your life um, did you know that you wanted to become a plastic surgeon? Did you have a mentor? Did you have someone you look up to? Or like, tell us about that journey a little bit. So, my journey started a little more from the art perspective. So, mm. I was always interested in sketching and drawing. I would be on the subway and that's what I would do is I would sketch the person across from me and then I'd be like, let me fix them a little bit. And I would kind of like <laughs> alter them in the sketch. And then as I went through my school, I was like, you know what? I really like science. I really appreciated the certainty of it. The idea that there was like a method, that there was a, a right way of doing things and it was uh, substantiated by fact. Yeah. So that really drew me in and I also appreciate mathematics that that there is a certain order to things that numbers and, and proportions kind of matter mm -hmm. so that I had all of these things and then I was like you know I really do want to help people mm -hmm. so for me plastic surgery was kind of like the field that kind of brought it all together wow. and that's how I was able to incorporate all the things I loved in kind of one specialty or one wow focus yeah and then I mean I also thought about being like editor of Vogue magazine but that was less certain like I felt like I could actually make it through the uh the surgical training but I wasn't sure that I could that I could you know make it through the devil wears Prada but <laughs> well, I, well I mean even though you weren't an editor of the Vogue magazine guys she's been in Vogue magazine <laughs> she's been in New York Times <laughs> she's been on the Today Show so <laughs> she's been some places even though she wasn't editing Amen. <laughs> I'm trying. Exactly. So and that's a good thing for everyone to know. It's like you, yeah. you might not become something in that, but they can feature you. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Exactly. This is even true. better. Yes. Wow. So that's so cool how the intersectionality of art and science and you brought that together in, in plastic mm -hmm. surgery because you know yeah. that, that sounds like happiness to me. It is. Yeah. It is. Like, look, if you're going to spend so much of your time doing something, you really have to love it. And I'm lucky yes. enough that I that I do something that I truly love. And I'm, yes. and I'm grateful for that. Wow. That's so amazing. So, you know, 
I know that you love it now, but all the training that you went through. And no, that was not, time. there was no love there. <laughs> there was no love. Like, no. It's very hard. You know, you're in a, you're on call, you're in, in the hospital a really long mm -hmm. time. It's a lot of yes. hours. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of your training is not specific to plastic surgery. So you yes. are doing like emergency surgeries on the abdomen. So, you know, if mm -hmm. there is a, uh, you know, dead gut or something mm. with appendicitis, like there's a couple of years of training that you're doing things like that. Mm -hmm. And believe me, no one is excited to go to the hospital to have their gallbladder out. So you're dealing yeah. with people in pain or they're not happy or they have serious problems. So yeah. there is a lot of that. But I think when you have a goal and you can kind of see it, then you just kind of have to keep going. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, probably some of the, the rigors and discipline in those fields, like it does change you. I mean, for, yeah. for good or for bad. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously you might be a little bit less patient when it comes to things, or you mm -hmm. might have a shorter, just because you're so tired or frazzled, but yes. it, it does, they kind of instill with you a, a need for being very accurate for yes. for really checking everything and double checking it. So mm -hmm. there is a lot of, focus on um, just getting things right and yeah. there's conferences and things that kind of put you in your place like where you mm. have to like review like they have like a conference called like Eminem which is like morbidity and mortality where you go over <laughs> everything kind of bad that could have happened that week and wow. you're forced to present it and be accountable and think about how you do things differently so wow. there's a lot more accountability in surgery uh, for what you're doing. And I think that in turn leads you to be a good uh, physician in general because you are self-critical. You are thinking about, can I, can, I do, can I have done this better? Or what could I have done differently? You're aware of you know, how to get the best results, but also what you do if something goes wrong. Yes. And those are the qualities that, and keeps you humble as a physician. I think there's mm -hmm. a certain humility that has that we all have to have. Mm -hmm. uh, someone, it is a tremendous privilege and responsibility that people place themselves in your care. Yes. And that is an honor. And I that understand. is not to be taken lightly. You know, it's mm -hmm. something that I am very uh, thankful for and grateful for. And I don't mm -hmm. want to use that privilege. So mm -hmm. I think that all of that training, although it is indeed horrible it is a different type of focus yes. when we're treating people as whole because we really know what it's like if something goes bad yeah. <laughs> is unfortunately not what we want to think about when we're doing all these happy things yes but we want to know that deep down that our goal is to first do no harm yeah and yeah. you know and to give and to give people the, the treatment that's right for them so those are things that I think are important. Yeah, and that's 100%. And, and kind of um, touching upon what you had talked about, that being in plastic surgery and going through the training that you did, you are kind of self-critical and you look at things, how you could have done them better and you become very accurate. And you said it changes you mentally. You just said whether for good or better, so or good or worse, rather. So 
a question that I have for you too, how do you think that mentality spills into the everyday things in your life, whether it's, you know, how you run your family household or even yourself, or how do you think that mentality spills into the other facets of your life? Well, I'm someone who really strives for excellence and accuracy. So it's really important for me to get the, the best result that I can mm-hmm. so that I'm delivering my best every time I do something. That doesn't mean that it has to be perfect, but it has to be the best for that person. Yeah. You know, that I'm, uh, I think that the other thing that it does is when I am doing something I'm focused on that one activity. So I try to give it my attention and focus. So I'm not Mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, who I have to call or what's going on Mm -hmm. that I'm giving that person my full attention while I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think that is also, you have to be present. You know, no one wants someone who appears to be like distracted or not really paying attention. And I think also you have to listen. So mm-hmm. I don't give somebody my plan or I don't tell them what I think that we should do until I first hear what concerns that person has, what, what are their goals? What yes. are they trying mm-hmm. to achieve? Do they have um, an event coming up? Do they have, so there's a lot more that goes into that because what gives the person a, a great result isn't mm-hmm. only the treatment. Yeah. that I'm going to deliver. It's also having that plan and having that uh, conversation. You know, this is a conversation. I think that the treatments that we're doing involve conversations. They're mm-hmm. not so much that me dictating my view mm-hmm. of, as to how it should be, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a journey, it's a relationship. Hopefully I'm going to see these people you know, ongoing over time and, you know, we're going to get better and better, but it is a journey and a conversation and I want to participate with that with the patient. Yeah. And and I think that's great. I love how you said it's a, it's a conversation, you know, it's not just one way. And I think that's so important for, you know, uh, and we're going to touch upon this a little bit later for anything, for business, for relationships or anything. It's a, it's a conversation. It's a give and take, not this is my way. This is what I want to happen. You know, there's certain situations that it calls for that, you know, when you're well, in like, surgery. You know, yes, yes. But, but even in the, even in an office, like it is, it is a team. It's not mm-hmm. like I can do this by myself. I yeah. can't, mm-hmm. I can't, no one does anything by themselves. You can have mm-hmm. some person who has a vision. Maybe I have to know certain things like technically, like I'm going to be doing the surgery, mm-hmm. but I don't mm-hmm. exist in a bubble. So you're yeah. really only as good as the people around you. Oh yeah, and, and and that's a big thing. You're only as good as the people around you, and and I I love the other things you said too. The purity of attention that you put on things and people that you're just focused on that thing in that moment. Because I think in the society, especially with our cell phones and this and that and this and that, we kind of have gotten so used to having, if you for better or worse term, we have squirrel brains. We're like where's the next nut, where's the next nut, where's the next nut, and so focusing on one thing is very hard for a lot of people. Well, that's the thing about surgery, is really when you're doing surgery, you can only focus on that one thing, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when you're doing surgery, you really are 
focus on that. And there is almost like a meditative aspect to that because you're really only focused on that. You don't really have the ability to be like, oh, let me think about what I want to have for dinner. Like that, you cannot do that and do surgery. And it's also like surgery isn't one of these things that you're like, you know what? I'm like doing that right now. I want to come back and do this later. No, no, (laughs) now. So it's, it's, you know, sometimes when you're doing a task and you do 90% of it and then like, like 10% and of course that last 10% can take you the same amount of time to finish it up. Yeah. In surgery, you don't have that ability. In surgery, you really have to, you have to finish. So that requires a tremendous more amount of attention Mm -hmm. to everything to get it from start to finish. And that I think is what is different about surgical training as opposed to other things because it's not only anatomy. It is a lot of anatomy. It is a lot of technique. It's a lot of skill, but it also is a different way of thinking about things. And you don't get that from five minutes or five hours or five days. This is like five years, (laughs) years of doing it every single day. So that I think is what there is a difference between people who are trained in a surgical field and Mm -hmm. people who are not. Yeah, and and, and I'm not sure if this is going, I don't know where we're gonna go with this next question. It just popped into my head, but I think it has to be said. So I know that you and other plastic surgeons and you have a certain type of training that definitely makes your brain work a different way than a lot of people. Like you said, so accurate, you double check things all of that, and you're used to going to things to completion. So in what way do you think that your training and how you guys practice medicine when it comes to plastic surgery, even non-invasive procedures, differs from someone who was, let's say they're a PA or a nurse a nurse practitioner and they're working in the hospital setting and they took a five-hour course and then they're doing non-invasive procedures. How do you think, and there's great people in all of them, obviously, but how yeah. do you think that, you know, that mentality differs in practice and results for patients? Well, there is like a feeling, I guess one of the main surgical principles is that you shouldn't do a procedure that you can't manage the complication of. Mm. So that is like a surgical thing. So if, if God forbid something goes wrong and I can't fix it, Mm-hmm. And chances are, I shouldn't be doing that procedure because mm-hmm. if I can't manage the complication of that procedure, I shouldn't do that. So I think yeah. that yeah. is something that should uh, go through all of these people. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you can you can do anything if you can manage the complication. Mm-hmm. If you know that when you have a problem that you have to send it to someone else, then maybe you shouldn't do that. So I think that is kind of like my rule of thumb personally, and I think that should apply to anyone who is doing procedures. You yeah. have to know what to do if something doesn't turn out the way yes. you want it to. And that's not saying that you shouldn't phone a friend or ask. That's not what I'm saying. I think mm-hmm. all need help, and mm-hmm. I believe that we should consult other people. But the idea that let's say if something really happened and you didn't know, you wouldn't either know what to do or be able to do it, then you should not be doing that procedure. So that's my my personal feeling. 
Yeah, and, and, and that makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, I, I even uh, say you're getting a filler or something like that. I'd be remiss to go to someone who can't manage if something did right. go wrong. I mean, that's I think that's scary. reasonable, right? That's kind of scary. I think that's yeah. reasonable to feel that you would want someone to be able to recognize if something went wrong and be able yeah. to manage it if it did. Exactly. Otherwise, that person is not likely qualified to do that procedure. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, and, and it makes a lot of sense, and I agree with that. <laughs> and, and so now going into business, because we kind of touched on it a little bit. So when did you know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Because that's completely different from all the years of school that you were doing. What so, did you know? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is I one of the reasons I liked being a physician is I felt like I could have my own practice. And then someone wasn't going to tell me what to do, especially after all those years of training, you have to do exactly what someone's telling you. I was like, this is not, this is not good. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wanted to go into a field where the government wasn't going to tell me what to do, hmm. how to treat my patients or manage my care. So yes. when I was in medical school, I met, I don't know why he came to my medical school, but I had the privilege of meeting C. Everett Coop, who was a surgeon general at the wow. time. And we had, a, we, we were talking about like the future of medicine. And at that time, you know, Hillary Clinton, um, they were talking about the Clinton plan mm -hmm. of medicine, which was a version of Obamacare. And wow. I was like, I don't think that I could work this hard and then have the government who knows nothing about medicine tell me how to take care of patients. Hmm. And you could see that the government shouldn't be really talking about science either. So hmm. that was kind of my feeling that I didn't want the government influencing how I practice medicine. So yes. that made me want to go into business by myself yes. because at least I was more in control of my own destiny. Yes. And I love that answer. You know, you're in control of your own destiny because, you know, we're, and I'm not going to get too far into the weeds, but, you know, we are living in um, a country now where a lot of people would just really love to depend on what the government says for them to do in more ways than one and so many different things. And, you know, I, I see my sister who's a doctor and, you know, with uh, health insurance and things like that, you see 30, 30 patients and you're not getting paid what you're worth and you're seeing so many people and right. the quality of care is no, you not can. where it's it needs very, to be. It's very difficult to pay attention because not only do you have to listen to the patient, examine the patient, write, write document the note properly. Oh, otherwise, that's another thing, yes. Right? Documentation. It's it's very challenging and yes. it's not it's not a, it's no easy task. That's um, a lot of that's a and it's very very difficult. And then the government says, okay, that's only worth twenty dollars. <laughs> like, like, wait, what? Like I saw thirty patients today. I only right. made three hundred dollars. Like what's going on here? That's a scary thing because if we did not have plastic surgeons, you know, because there's besides the cosmetic, there's also other slew of things. If we didn't have surgeons, if we didn't have doctors, if we didn't have people going into these fields, like, but if you just, you're not incentivizing that field. It's well, I honestly, though, I think applications to medical school are up. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well. They are, 
that our people still want to go to medical school because yeah. it, it still is a very like noble profession. Yeah, very question why you became a doctor. You you want to help people. Yeah. And I would say the overwhelming majority of physicians are really doing it for for the right to, reasons. Right for the right reasons. Yes, there are a few you know rotten apples in the barrel, but. Mm -hmm. Mostly, most physicians, I think, are are there for the patient, you know, to be good doctors and to mm -hmm. be good people and to do their best to to care and to help. Exactly. So, in your journey of an entrepreneur, so you, as you said, most most people go into it because it's a noble professional and they're really helping people, and they're not thinking about the business side of things. So, as you started your business, what were some of your biggest struggles? starting your business and then what were your, some of your uh, biggest triumphs you know so kind of yeah. goes with the journey so uh, i kind of started out my journey uh that i was going to join the practice of another doctor i was going to be an employee mm -hmm. and i had this contract and i had all these like non-compete and other clauses and my attorney was trying to work with this doctor and she was like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. And he was like, well, if it doesn't mean anything, she should take it out of the contract. So she didn't take it out of the contract. And he said to me, if you sign this contract, I am going to make you sign another paper that alleviates me from legal malpractice because you should not sign something like this. So I was like, wow. okay, but I have to have a job. I'm like, I have to, how am I going to have a job? So at the time, the chairman of my department had an office and he allowed me to like rent space from him. And then I kind of could see some patients there. And I was doing all other kinds of like odd jobs to like make, I would take call at a hospital or I would do a clinic in a different mm -hmm. hospital. So I would have some yeah. income while I was building my private practice up yes. because I still had to pay all the bills and you know do all that other stuff. So I did that for a while and gradually as I had more and more of my patients then I got rid of all the other things. Mm -hmm. And I was trying, you know, I was I went to a lot of meetings and conferences and I would try to sit in on the business things and see yeah. kind of like what I had to do. And I didn't really have anyone to speak to really. Mm. Uh, and there weren't really any women that were doing what I was doing. So finally I was getting very frustrated. Yeah. Uh, and I just started, like I would have to call like some of my guy friends who were ahead of me and you know, they didn't always tell me the answer, but what I would do is every time I had a question, I would ask like five people. <laughs> yeah. like, Let me ask like five people. So I would throw the question out to a bunch of people because then yeah. chances are like someone then would answer me. Yeah. <laughs> and there would be similarities or if you got more than one answer, like, mm, Right. Then I, so I, was, I would get some like input as yeah. to, you know, what I what I should be doing and mm -hmm. obviously you learn as you go and you make plenty of mistakes and errors and things like that and yeah. staffing and all that other stuff but I kind of like did it like bit by bit, bit by until bit. I kind of did that and then I joined uh, a business organization called the WPO the Women's President's Organization and oh. I did that for a few years Okay. where we kind of 
everybody had a different business. So there wasn't anyone who was like a plastic surgeon, but let's say they could have a business that sold promotional items or they could mm-hmm. have a social media business or they could mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, all kinds of businesses. And yes. we would kind of just go over some of the things that were problems in business in general, like let's yes. say staffing could be an issue or uh, your mission statement or what mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, all those different things. So yeah. I got a little more idea of what was involved in running an actual business. Because a yeah. lot of the people in the group had gone to like Harvard Business School or you know, wow. they had gone to business school because they were running a business. Mm-hmm. I was like, I went to medical school. I don't know anything about running a business, mm-hmm. but I got a little more knowledge about, okay, well, what are the mechanics of running a business that are the same mm-hmm. in any business yes. that you have to run? And that's kind of how I got more information. And those mm-hmm. people also would, would help me. They would be like, okay, well, you know, you you need to do this or present, like, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, I mean, so for the listeners out there, guys, so if you haven't gone to Harvard Business School, it seems yeah. like the next best thing is to have connections with people who have went to some of these um, schools or are very experienced in those things. So you can kind of pick up the knowledge in that way. And I'm sure WPO wasn't free. You pay to play, right? You pay to play, but yeah. there are also other, I think, and I don't have the list of them, but there are other organizations that are mentoring like people mm-hmm. who have young businesses mm-hmm. that would mm-hmm. kind of help someone it, de- it depends on you see also what's important in your business is like what stage is your business in because a, a business that had that's making five hundred thousand dollars is not the same as one that's five million dollars it's not the same as a business that's making 20 million dollars or 100 mm-hmm. so we're everyone's business is at a different point and there are different things that need to be done at different of these points. And as your business is growing, you reach these things that are called inflection points. Mm-hmm. So in order to get your business to go to the next inflection point, you have to do some stuff. But like anything else, you kind of can only do what you plan. So exactly. a lot of our business is, is planning and measuring, you know, looking at what you're doing doing and measuring it and it's not it's not all rocket science but it Mm -hmm. is a lot of consistency and being consistent Mm -hmm. about a lot of these things is very challenging oh yeah I I can imagine and you know at those and like you said those inflection points it's like it's almost like at every level of inflection it requires a new you requires a new state of being as you said operating yeah So like in your professional experience, since you've kind of gone through that, if you were to say um, someone who's a startup in in their medical business, you know, just a couple of things, and it's not going to be exhaustive, but what are a couple of things that you think they should have as a base, um, kind of their starting point? Well, I think the first thing is, is that you have to have a way of measuring things. So if you don't know what you're doing, then you can't know where you're going to go. So you need some mm-hmm. kind of like system that's going to tell you who your patients are, what their demographics are, mm-hmm. um, how many times they're coming, where they live, you know, that had mm-hmm. and has a way of allowing you to access that information in a report yes. so that you don't have to like 
draw it up every time. So you need a, a data collection system mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you know who, who are your patients, when are they coming, where do they live, how old mm -hmm. are they? If yes. you don't know any of these things, then how could you possibly get more of them or market to them if you know nothing about them? So exactly. first is like you have to set up a system so you know who 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 are your patients. Yes. Obviously, you need to have some sort of marketing system so that people know who you are, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and people have a way of reaching you. Yes. Right. Exactly. So that's that's important um, as well. So those are probably like so and good. staffing. Yeah. So you're really only as good as your staff. So they're the people <laughs> yeah. who that people deal with more than you. So mm -hmm. having those people, um, mm -hmm. the right people in the right seats is, is, mm -hmm. is probably the most challenging part of the whole, of the whole business. Yeah. And that's something that is, is critical to yeah. the development of the business. And, and that is critical because I, uh, measuring, uh, sometimes people don't understand what they need to measure in order to understand their business. They, they don't understand what they're measuring. Right. They just like, you know, yeah. they just like throw money out there on advertising yeah. and this and that. Well, they don't understand what the return is. They don't right. understand. Anything. Well, I mean, like in essence, business is like a game, right? Mm. But when it's a game, how do we know if we're winning? We have to keep score, right? <laughs> So if you're yeah. not keeping score, then how do you know how you're doing? Exactly. You're just like, oh, I'm doing great. Like I remember I, I talked to this one as well owner and she like, she was, she was wonderful and, and she thought she was doing like really well. And I'm like, according to industry averages, I'm like, you're not. <laughs> like it's just like, I was like, you're not. And like, she was like, I think I'm on the top because I was doing an assessment with her. I'm like, no, yeah. Not, not even close, but so if you don't know what you're measuring against, if you have no benchmark, you're you're just kind of flying out there to sit by the seat of your pants. And so kind of moving on, I know that you have a concept called, um, you know, believable beauty. And that's something that also comes from your artistic background. Mm -hmm. And I know we're kind of pivoting here, um, but tell us more about your believable beauty concept in your practice and how you market yeah. that and to what it does for your patient base. So, especially in Manhattan, most people don't want to look like they have work done. So mm -hmm. having like overfilled lips or too large eyebrows, like no one wants to look like they've had stuff done. And, mm -hmm. uh, and honestly, whether someone has a good feature or a bad feature, there shouldn't be one, there shouldn't be in your face something that's distracting that people are looking at you and be like, oh, did she do something? Didn't she do something? You don't really want people to notice the work. It's kind of like wearing your clothes inside out and seeing all the seams and stuff like that. Yes. You know, you don't want that. It's the same thing like if you see a ballet dancer and they're dancing so beautifully, like you don't want to see, you know, all the stress and strain. You just want to see the beauty of the work. You don't want to yeah. see all that other stuff. So the idea that anything that we're doing should enhance the person as a whole. Mm -hmm. everybody has unique things that make them look like themselves so mm -hmm. the idea that someone was showing me um keeps showing me this picture of Tori Spelling and she looks a lot like Khloe Kardashian oh, the idea that goodness. everyone is looking more like the same yeah is kind of not good either because we're not supposed to look the same we're supposed yeah. to look like ourselves yes. and a lot of times I look at these celebrities and I'm like is that like they 
look, they start to look a little more similar as everyone's like merging into this like kind of like central concept of what these uh, fillers and things do to someone's face. Yes. And what's good about that? If you really want to look like somebody else or do we all want to look the same? We don't want to all look the same. We want to look like the best version of ourselves. Yes. And we don't want people to notice the work or certainly comment on it. No. Oh my God. You but I'm saying right even in. small children can recognize when something's off with someone's face. Ooh, yeah. So we don't want that. We want it to be seamless. We want it to enhance the person's whole and we want people to look like the best version of themselves. Yeah. And, and I, and I like that concept because you are, you're touching on something that I think is a, a shift that's happening in society with beauty where we all think that we need to look one way and it kind of right. scares our thinking about people. Right. So it's like, oh, she doesn't look like this and she doesn't have these certain proportions and, and she doesn't have this certain booty and this type of waist. It's I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. There is, right. That is just something that I am personally not on board with. I just mm -hmm. don't think that that's what we should be doing. Yeah. I don't want I don't want everybody to look the same. Exactly. And I, and I know from your days of sketching and kind of modifying things, it's like, you know, you know the differences. And so do you still keep that hobby of art outside of your practice now? I don't, you know, sketching is something like I might do some like light sketching, but I haven't really been focusing on sketching. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I also do a lot of like calligraphy, which is really like oh, writing. Beautiful. So I do some of that. Uh, but to tell you the truth, like nowadays, I just between that, between the work and you know, the kids and the mm -hmm. SLT, yeah. and like seeing my friends, like I have, but maybe, maybe soon, I've been feeling more creative. Oh, that's but now, um, sometimes I channel my creativity into like other projects. Like we just bought mm -hmm. the office across the hall. So we'll have yeah. to do that like renovation and stuff. So that yeah. will be like my artistic creative outlet. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to get to the interior design mode. Exactly. So there's different, there's, uh, there's different ways of being artistic, but I think like a lot of times like creativity and stuff like that needs like space, like you need yeah. time and space. Like it's not like something that you can just be like, okay, now I'm mm. going to do this. Like you need to give your, your, you need a little time and space. And I, I don't feel like I have that same kind of focus or attention for that right now. Like yeah. my attention focuses elsewhere. I mean, and that makes sense. I mean, um, I, I know that historically back in the day, like I, I've been um, an organist and a violinist or have you, right. my partner saying that he was a violinist back wow. in the day. But like what happens is that over time, once you get into life, it's just like, how practical is it doing all these, all these things all the time? But then it becomes something you enjoy when you have the space for it. Then you're like, okay, right. I could pull out my violin, get together with some friends, and we'll do a quartet or something like that. You could. Well, the violin is a very challenging instrument. It is. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> and to make it sound beautiful. Exactly. It's not like a piano key that you see when you hit C with the piano, it's, it's C. A C. Exactly. The violin, that is not the case. You're like, that is not a secret. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're so right. And um, so, my last question for you is for those studying in medical school, guys, wow, look at me. But for those studying in medical school who have future aspirations of owning their own plastic surgery practice, 
you know, what would be your words of advice on additional training they should take in the area of business and also your advice on them niching and focusing on something to get really good at? What would be your words of advice? Well, I think it's like one of those, like first business activities is always like, what are it are all those other things? Like, what are your core values? Mm-hmm. What's your mission? What's like, what is it that you're trying to do? Because if you're not clear about those things, even though they seem like, well, that's not really what I care about. I just care about making money. And, you know, it, that's not going to be enough mm-hmm. to, to do that. So you have to think about, it's that it's back to that, you know, Simon Sinek, like it starts with why, like, why are you doing this? Like, why, why, what is it? And what it would lose that there's that other term value proposition. Yes. Like, what are you offering? That's different than other people. What are yes. you bringing to the table? Why are people coming to you? So I think until you can answer those questions, no one's going to answer them for you. And that helps guide how you're going to do what you're doing. But if you don't know what, why you're doing it, then how you're going to do it is, is, is trickier. Because yeah. if you want, it, it depends on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So first you have to know that. And then I think you, you, you start small, like you start in manageable sections. Like you can't, I think, especially if you have like a lot of debt from medical school or other mm-hmm. school, you don't want to get into more debt. I think you have to have a, a plan about mm-hmm. how you want to do that and make sure that you have the uh, resources to do that, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going to be able to sustain. You know, you have to figure out the numbers. So there is a certain amount of strategy and planning that yes. would go into that. Yeah. Excellent. Well. Wow. Doctor, it was so great having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have everyone listening here. And we need to know, how can we find you when we're in Manhattan? How can we find you when we go on the internet? Yeah, so I'm at, uh, it's drjenniferlevine.com. Or I'm on Instagram, the same one, Dr. Jennifer Levine, on Facebook. So DM us. Right. Call us at 212 517 9400. We're in the Manhattan on 79th Street. So certainly call us, message us, and we'd love to hear from you. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. And Thank everything you. is going to be in the show notes, guys. So, all the things you said, where to find her, is going to be in the show notes. So, check it out. And make sure you leave us a review. You know what I'm saying? All right. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. like what you heard, please leave us a review. I appreciate you listening and your support. Follow us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens and comment on this episode's post. Also, I appreciate your feedback and ideas. Improving is the name of the game. I'm Leslie Tracy, your host. Thanks for listening.